It'll be lit. It'll be lit. It'll be lit. Oh, God. All right. You about ready? We ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Are you all right over there? (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. How's everyone doing? Good? Pat, how you doing? I'm here. Here? Making it happen. We're uh, in Pat's studio today. Yes, we are. A little bit of a change of scenery. You can actually breathe. His his is a lot bigger than mine. That's what she said. We're cutting that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, we are what on episode twenty five. Five? Yeah, this is twenty five. A quarter man. of a century. It's incredible. I'm very proud of us. And we're recording on well, it was Good Friday, but it's not anymore. It's, it is, it is not Saturday. Good Friday anymore. It is Saturday. You know, I got a question for you. Sure. Why do they call it Good Friday? Hmm. Because if you think about it, as a kid, it always bothered me. Like, why is it Good Friday? Because nothing good happened on Good Friday. You're not lying. It should be Bad Friday. <laughs> should it not? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's like, oh, it's a, it's Good Friday. They murdered Jesus. That's a Bad Friday. Yeah, but what he did was ultimately good. So maybe uh, dying for our sins and all that. I don't that, know. That's ultimately a good thing. See, you would think, I, I, you would I think, think... I think that had good, good effects, so... See, that would work except for it's a very solemn day. <laughs> yeah. Like, if it was a Good Friday, you should be celebrating. Like, hey, yeah. it's Good Friday, man. Yeah, but you know in three days he's coming back, so, I mean... Yeah. I mean, they didn't know that then, but, I mean... Whatever. Oh, that might be getting cut, too. <laughs> Anyways, what kind of news stories you got today? I have two news stories. This is from Fox News, all right? Mafia fu- fugitive caught after YouTube cooking show accidentally reveals his identity. Okay. Yeah, so a mafia fu- fugitive couldn't take the heat, so he went to the kitchen... Mark Farron Claude Biart got caught after spending seven years on the run, according to Calabria News, an Italian news outlet. Briart was hiding from national authorities for alleged drug trafficking, but was tracked down and arrested in the Dominican Republic on Wednesday. This guy was on the run for a long time. Seven years, that's a while, that's yeah. A, that's a decent amount of time to be on the run nowadays. Definitely. You know, the, he was 53? He was 53 and he was doing, what, a YouTube cooking show? Yeah, the 53-year-old man was found nearly 5,000 miles away from his home town of Rome based on a cooking YouTube channel he launched with his wife Boca Chica. Yeah, law enforcement officials were clued in that the YouTube channel belonged to uh, B-Art since the uh, chef reviewed food while never revealing his face. The international report says the body parts that were viewable revealed the uh, mysterious chef had tattoos that match what the authorities had on record. So, what an idiot. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. Honestly, like you're on the run for seven years and you just put yourself on YouTube for millions of people to see. You're just asking to be caught. <laughs> what, what, yeah, I mean, what do they think was going to happen? Yeah, like, what do you think, man? Anyways, I got one. It's kind of along the same lines, but it's a lot less cool, I think. Okay, this one is from Fox 23 News. This is out of Michigan. Okay. Suspected drug dealer arrested after fake name he gave police comes back with warrants. <laughs> so he gave the police a fake name. They ran that name. And they're like, oh, shit, man, if you're so-and-so... We got to arrest you because you've got warrants out. Damn. So I'm going to get in this one just real quick here. That's rough. So authorities in Michigan arrested a man Friday after he gave them a fake name that happened to be the name of a person wanted on an outstanding warrant, according to Michigan State Police. What's the what was the what's the warrant for? It doesn't say. Ruff, Troopers ruff. arrested the man. He's only identified as a 30 year old after spotting him parked on the shoulder. <laughs> 
he basically they pulled up on him. He ran away. They caught him. Asked that's what his not... name was. He gave a fake name. They're like, well, if that's your name, you got warrants out, and they arrested him. That's all <laughs> I've got for news. That's some terrible luck. That might entire thing might be getting cut. <laughs> I have one more if you want right, to hear it. Let's listen. This is from the Great New York Times. Oh God! A man found fifteen thousand bees in his car after grocery shopping. In his car? Yeah. He had just finished grocery shopping, but a New Mexico man got much more than he bargained for when he returned to his car in the store's parking lot. A swarm of 15,000 honeybees had taken over the back seat. He wasn't even there for like 10 minutes. So you get out of your car, you come back 10, 10 minutes later, and there's yep. 15,000 bees in his car? Yes. I feel like this is something that would happen to me, honestly. <laughs> I hate bees, man. They do a lot of good for the environment, but... But you don't want to interact with them. I do not want to interact with them. Yeah, bee. we definitely do need to protect the bees. That's one species we definitely need to protect. Yes, no but doubt. Anyways. Yeah, he was just driving, and he thought he heard something, and he turned back, he's like, holy shit. He didn't know what to do, so he just called the cops, and this... Uh, uh, off-duty firefighter that handles bees as like a side hustle uh, was able to track the bees <laughs> from the car. <laughs> so, so, so wait a second. So, <laughs> there's a lot that we got going on on this one. So, he's in New Mexico. He gets out of his car. Ten minutes later, there's bees in his car. Luckily for him, there's a firefighter who just happens to be into this shit and knew exactly what to do and yeah. saved the day. <laughs> I don't really know where he came from. <laughs> I don't remember. Dude, this is going to go down as our laziest news reporting in the history of 4.30 uh, in the morning. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. No, it's okay. Uh, it's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, he just, he just had a side hustle. He just handles bees. Uh, I don't know what I don't I don't remember what you call that. But. Beekeeping. Yes, beekeeping. Everybody needs a hobby, right? Anyways, that's funny. What's our main topic today? White collar crime. White collar crime. What is white collar crime, Pat? Glad you asked, man. So I've been working on this one for a while, and I got six pages typed up about white collar crime. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. This is going to be your episode. So white collar crime is pretty much when somebody, it's it's basically nonviolent financial crime is essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. Usually takes the form of somebody with access to somebody else's money. Usually it's a company's money, and they're doing something illegal with that money. Now, it could also manifest in insider trading. Do you know what that is? Yes. It's where basically you trade stocks based on information that isn't public knowledge. Yeah. But it's different from most other crimes because a lot of people find themselves in situations where they might be able to do something. They might be able to become a white collar criminal. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember back at our grade school, we had a business, uh, our business manager with like the church in the grade school. She moved to a different, like a different church or whatever. Then she got arrested for embezzlement. I don't know if you remember that at all. Mm-mm. Basically what she was doing, and this is a perfect example of white collar crime, was she was in charge of the, the church's finances. Now, churches don't have, they have like one person that does the business at another thing. So right. they get all the money coming in from collections or whatever. It's usually one person handling it. The priest isn't really looking at it. He's kind of just like there, like overseeing, yeah. but he's not involved in the business. There's nobody really doing any of this stuff. It's usually just the one person. So what she was doing was she was taking that money and gambling with it. Her goal, her goal was to win, pay the church back, and then pocket the winnings. But obviously, if you lose, then you're shit out of luck. Because if you're gambling with somebody else's money, you usually don't have money yourself to be gambling with in the first place right and usually people that do this type of thing don't have they just don't have the wherewithal to manage a situation properly because if you're gonna steal from a church you're probably not gonna be able to manage that that process pretty well you know what i mean right so eventually she got uncovered and ended up getting convicted of embezzlement basically damn she go so, away i think so i don't know i don't know the detail i can't remember the details good. but good so that's, that's an easy example of white collar crime right 
Basically, somebody has access to money to do something with money that they're not supposed to do. Now, That's a perfect definition. Exactly. Now, really, you need three things. You need a motive to do this. You need to have some reason to want to steal. Second, you need an opportunity. You have to have some, something has to happen where you have access to money that you could theoretically maneuver. Now, you could be making a fake bank account that you're controlling. You could be just outright stealing. You could be borrowing. You have to have some opportunity. You also have to have the moral wherewithal to actually do this type of thing. Most people, they say, most people, if all three line up, are going to do it. Isn't that interesting? Some people will never steal. Some people will always steal. That's pretty crazy. But most people, they say, according to what I learned in college, most people will do it if they have the motive, the opportunity, the moral wherewithal, and then obviously the risk factor gets played in. Right. Because if it's a risk-free scenario. Then if those characteristics, if if an individual has those three characteristics, they have, they're going to do it. Is that what like a a study pretty much said? Pretty much, yeah. Now, a few people. could, Could you imagine how many? people have gotten away with it then because i'm sure a lot of people i'm sure a lot of people have yeah because if you it could be as simple as taking an extra thousand off the books especially if you're if you're a financial controller especially at a small company mm-hmm. you are the person in charge the ceo probably doesn't have an idea as, as what you're doing because they put you in charge of the finances for a reason Right. Usually it's because they don't know what the hell they're doing in the first place. Especially at a small company, you've got a lot of authority over what happens. There's a lot of, I could just kind of do things however I see fit. Right. As long as the bottom line lines up with what the CEO expects. That's crazy. What are they going to do? So it's a really interesting topic. It gets really complicated really quickly, but you need those three things. You need the motive, the opportunity, and the moral wherewithal to actually do that type of thing. Right. Anyways, that being said, what kind of white collar crimes are we going to be covering today? All right. So... Remember when I told you I'm probably the biggest dumbass of all of all time? Yeah, and I would challenge that, but all right. So remember when I texted you earlier in the week, and I was like, "Let's do white collar crime." Yes. And I, I was like, you know, it sounds like it'd be a good topic. Sure. So when I when I saw that when I said that, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to an old podcast I used to listen to called Swindled. Okay, I listened to that one as well. Yeah, and so I was I was going through, I was listening to a bunch of them, I was like, eh, what do I really feel like listening to? Which one will I be interested in? And I came across the, the Love Canal. Have you ever heard of the Love Canal disaster? I've heard of it, but... Okay, this is why I'm the biggest dumbass of all time. A white-collar crime does not occur in this in this, in this this story. <laughs> so you I, just, I just remember it being a really crazy thing that happened, and it was interesting, and it was just a, a messed up thing that a big corporation does in the story. Okay. And uh, it was kind of a criminal but they got away with it so why why isn't it white collar crime then because like nothing happened nothing really happened like no, nobody got held accountable there was no trial like well it doesn't have to be a trial it, 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 it techni- technically a crime did not occur and I, oh I'll, yeah okay. like I'll, I'll explain in the story but all right that's why i'm a dumbass because a white a crime doesn't even occur in this okay well i've got i've got <laughs> i've got us covered on that end then <laughs> and i just realized that like yesterday and i'm like wow well <sighs> All right. That's what I got. So, the love canal. When you say that, I'm imagining the love connection, like the TV show. Then I'm imagining the love boat, which was like a 70s TV show. Yes, I have seen the love boat. So, in my mind, the two are getting connected. Mm. It's not a pretty sight. Take that out of your mind. All right, done. So, in the early 1900s, a guy named William T. Love, he was a very ambitious guy. Okay. Right. And he wanted to build a community near the upper and lower Niagara Rivers. And he wanted to dig a big-ass canal in between the rivers to create hydroelectricity, which is cheap. And he wanted to call it Model City. Right. Now, just think about it. In the early 1900s, do you think people were really thinking about clean energy? No, but I think I've actually been here. Which It's quite interesting. Okay. You know, he, he wanted to create, like, this different 
different type of city. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a certain from ring it, a bell. From what it sounds There's like. There's a certain ring a bell. <clears throat> yeah. But the plan to build the city got canceled in 1910 for economic reasons and because Tesla made the discovery of the alternating current, which allowed cheap power to you know travel over long distances. Yes. Right? Yep. So it's like, damn, why do all this work with the, the hydroelectronic shit when we already got this figured out? Exactly. You know what I mean? And the whole Tesla thing, that could be an episode in and of itself because there were shenanigans that were done right. with that. Anyways. But the initial phase of the canal was actually, you know, done. And it was about a mile worth. And it was like, it was 20 yards wide and 40 feet deep. Okay. Right. And it sat empty for about a decade until the city of Niagara repurposed it to a chemical landfill. And it remained a landfill for about 20 years. This was in, uh, it became a chemical landfill in 1920, and it remained that for 20 years until it was sold to the Hooker Chemical Company, all right? Okay. And what the Hooker Chemical Company did... Was prostitution. Yes, prostitution, and they emptied the canal, and they they lined the bottom of it with a really hard clay to protect the surrounding soil from the chemicals they were going to bury in the canal in barrels. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were going to dump their own shit in there, but they think that putting some clay down is going to protect all the soil from the own their own shit that they're going to put in there. I don't think clay is what I would land on. Yeah, probably not. For chemical containment. But this is 1920 we're talking here. True. So, yeah, and that's going to be about 25 feet underground. So for 10 years, they start dumping their own shit in there. So 21,000 tons of chemicals uh, were, were put in there over a 10-year period. And these chemicals are, like, really bad. Like carcinogens, dioxin, pesticides, alkalines, dyes, it, synthetic resin. Resins, so this is all, all types of shit, man. All near Niagara Falls. Yes. Was this on the U.S. side or the Canadian side? This is on the this is on the U.S. side. Yep. Okay. Yep. Ni- Niagara, upper. It's in uh, New York, yep. New York State. Yep. Yep. So, but as years go on, the area started getting more populated, and Niagara wanted to expand their area. Sure. So the Hooker Company decided to move, and well, they decided to dump their shit somewhere else. So what they did was they filled in the uh, the canal and topped it off with more of that thick clay shit that they think works and over time you know vegetation and grass and shit started you know filling in growing over it so it kind of looked normal like it kind of looked fine you know what i mean like nothing was going on so in 1953 the hooker chemical company started negotiating a deal with the city to sell the canal the city wanted to use the land to put new schools on right because they're they're, they built like they ended up building like 800 single family homes in this big area and they built a school and a playground and all this shit that can't be good. Right. And so when they were negotiating the deal to sell it to the city, they pulled this one. I think you uh, expect this. Um, they added in a liability limitations clause into the contract that they are not responsible for anything that happens on the land. And in this clause, they didn't say anything about the potential dangers or anything about the chemicals that they dumped in there. They just said that it won't cause any harm to anyone. Well, why would you say anything? Exactly. Because they, they didn't want you know the liability, but they put in there in the clause that that you can't come back at us if anything happens yeah. in this area. And you don't want to self-incriminate either. So. Right. So they're protected, right? Yep. So they sold it for $1. They sold the land for $1. You never want to, to buy <laughs> You never want to buy anything for $1. Right. So when they started excavating the site to build the school, they discovered that they dug right on top of like the main dumping ground. And you know what you know, you know what they did? They didn't cancel the project. They just moved like 80 feet north. Of course they did. Of, of their original uh, location. That's, That's all insane. they did. They just moved moved 
like they just moved, which is absolutely insane. Yep. So over time, clay begins to sink. Wet winters, water table is raised, which caused the chemicals to leach. People were getting these this chemical goo and shit in their basements coming up through their sewers, and there would be like craters in the playground at the school, and they would be filled with chemicals. And the kids would come home with rashes, these really hard warts and zits and shit all over their bodies. And yeah, man, it was bad. It like was of really all the, bad. Of all the places to dump chemicals, why the hell would you land on it? Because that's like a major <laughs> river right in between two Great Lakes. Of course that type of thing is going to happen. Right. Makes no sense. So this really started gaining you know, public awareness in the 1970s, getting you know, investigative news, news coverage and health surveys and shit. And it was being revealed that a lot of serious illnesses were happening just in this area, like epilepsy and asthma and uh, nephrosis, migraines, and uh, had a really high rate of miscarriages and birth defects and shit. Okay, I've definitely heard of this now. I yeah. remember reading about this. And uh, Jimmy Carter ended up declaring it a state of emergency, and but it took a long time for him to do that because the people of, in the community had to fight like really hard to get the word out and get the government to do this. Yeah. And, well, it, and like I, I, I listened to the videos of like the women in like the town hall. Okay. They are like going insane, like cussing, like bitching these people out, man. Like That's, to, to, yeah. to do something. Like these women fought, man. So check this out, though. So they declared a state of emergency, and the government relocated 239 families. So there's like 700 left that needed to be relocated. And the reason that the other 700 weren't relocated is because the government deemed them that they would they 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 were at insufficient risk. But the New York Department of Health went in there and they inspected, and they had all kinds of evidence that these 700 homes still had chemicals in their basement and shit, their yards and all that. But yeah. the government said, nah, they're they're fine. They're good. And as we're going to get into this topic a little bit more, this is probably going to be a multi-part series. Oh, yeah. The government does whatever the hell they want to do. When you think government, people just think, ah, it's the government. It's the three branches, right? You know? I don't think people realize how big the government is. And the other thing people don't realize... Like, there's departments you have never heard of. Exactly. Doing shit. <laughs> and the other thing people don't realize is that Jimmy Carter was... He was a trilateral commission plant, and nobody, nobody talks about that. They talked about that in the 70s they were like this trilateral commission which nobody really understands what it does all of a sudden has appointed he basically got appointed president by them like he obviously won his election but he was unknown like nobody knew who the hell jimmy carter was until he started running for president basically right he wins and they fill they fill his entire administration with these trilateral commission people who are basically what the illuminati really is so that's crazy like jimmy carter he's nobody <laughs> he was just he was just a plant for the trilateral commission right and you know what's messed up okay not to cut you off or no, you're good. But so after battling for like a couple more years in 1981, he Jimmy Carter declared another state of emergency and they relocated the 700 other families. Guess how much it cost the government to relocate all the families? Not a whole lot. 17 million. That doesn't seem like a lot. That does not seem like a lot, does it? <laughs> no. That's all. Even at that time, all the spending that the government was doing, I feel like they could have, you know, relocated them a long time ago and spent more money on it. This wasn't a priority. That's that's insane to me, man. Was that your case? That is my case. That's definitely white collar crime. I mean, you, like nothing became of it because they were protected in their clause in the contract. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Maybe you know, maybe some people went down later on, but I don't. I don't think anybody did. Well, the Carter administration wasn't exactly bringing the hammer down on any way they didn't want to. Right. Anyways, are you ready for my case? I'm excited to hear it. I've got about five pages typed up on this one. 
Holy Jesus. So the main case I'm going to be covering on this episode is Enron. Yep, I've heard of the Enron. Everybody 25 years and older has probably heard of. They were in the news in 2001. I don't know. Do you remember that? Do you remember that in 2001 where they were in the news? I don't really remember it because I was I was young. I was in the yeah, first grade. Yeah, you were kind of I was in the first grade. Edge. Do you remember 9-11 in the news? Vaguely. Because I was in second grade for that one. So No. You would have been in first grade. I was in second grade when 9-11 happened. Yeah. The thing with my yeah, childhood yeah. is that my grandparents watched network or they watched cable news all the time. <laughs> so I knew all about 9-11. I remember Columbine. You remember Columbine? Yeah, Columbine. I watched all the coverage of that. And I had to sit through breakthroughs as a, as a five-year-old. I had to sit through breakdowns of what happened with Columbine. And that, that scarred me for life. Did, but, we, did, we, did we live through webcom? When was that? I can't remember. I don't remember that. I almost did webcom. I don't remember that one. But Enron, I do remember. Because it was right around the time of 9-11. I remember it being in the news all the time. And then they even, they were, well, I'm going to get into it. But for a while, I thought Enron did 9-11 just based on <laughs> what was being discussed <laughs> because i was seven years old i didn't understand what the fuck was going on right but they were the big they were big news at the, around the same time and we're gonna get into what enron was so most people in the united states probably weren't super familiar with what enron was mm-hmm. they were essentially a energy company kind of like you know columbia gas or first yeah. energy yeah they were kind of in the same sector they were formed in 1985 as a natural gas distributor due to a merger of a couple of companies one was in omaha nebraska or which is somewhere somewhere in the Midwest, and then the other one was in Houston. Mm-hmm. So these two companies merged in 1985, formed Enron, headed by Ken Lay, who we're going to get into a little bit, became like the chairman and CEO of the company. Now, Ken Lay was a friend of George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. That's become important, too, because at one time when George Bush got elected, or George W. Bush got elected for president, Ken Lay was almost in line to become the energy secretary of the United States. No shit. So think about that for a second. Hmm. He was a, a friend of them from like college days, basically. He was a golf buddy of hw and then uh it's more of a friend of george mm-hmm. but so that's how the company started now with energy with the whole energy trade they got very much deregulated towards the late 80s and early 90s which meant a lot of competition was jumping in so there was a lot of competition entering the marketplace and enron who was basically a newly formed natural gas company had to do something to substantiate their stake in the basically do you know what do you know what happened with enron no i don't think so i think was there inside trader go trading shit going on yes Okay. It was only between, what, the four guys? It was really just the three guys. It was going to be, I'm going to get into them. It was Ken Lay, Jeff Skilling, who was the CEO of part of the company for a while, and then became the CEO of the entire thing towards the end. Okay. Then the third guy is Andrew Fastow, who was the CFO for the last three years. It was these three guys, and these three guys were the perfect storm of corporate greed and narcissism (laughs) and basically just playing the game the wrong way the entire time. So I'm going to try my best to break this down as quickly and concisely as possible. There's, There's so much going on with this. A lot of the times, they don't even try and hide it. They just do it. Well, these guys tried to hide it. Okay. That's the thing. And I'm going to be glossing over details. So uh, I heard somewhere where somebody said that there could be an entire college course taught on this. There easily could be. No shit. Because I'm sitting here. I've got like five pages written. And I'm like, I'm just ignoring certain parts. I'm glossing over details other places. I'm trying to get the most important things. Right. The best source is there's a two-hour documentary called Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. Mm-hmm. That's the best source. I watched that in business school, and I've, I watched it again on my own. I'll have to check that out. I, have to watch I don't know it. where it's streaming. I couldn't find it streaming because I was going to use it for this episode. I didn't. I wasn't able to find it, but that's a really good source. Pretty pretty detailed breakdown. But before we get into Enron, the thing that needs to be established is that Enron was a publicly traded company, meaning anybody could buy stock in Enron. Mm-hmm. Publicly traded companies are treated differently than privately held companies because you have to have shareholder transparency. Basically, you have to be summing up your financial situation in a way that is transparent to investors and 
they can make decisions based on what you have going on. Right. Now, the Security and Exchange Commission, the Security and Exchange Commission, is the federal government's arm in this whole thing. They're the enforcement arm F-E-C. of... SEC. You said the... Fe- what did you just say? Security and Exchange Commission. Oh, I thought you said federal. No. Okay. I was like... It's the federal government's arm in the whole thing. They okay. basically enforce in the market and they hold publicly traded companies accountable for certain things. Now, obviously, you gotta you got to be honest with your financial statements and most of that's done through the annual report where a company has to submit to investors their summary of whatever. Right. Now, this is something, this is public information. I've looked at so many public or annual reports that it hurts my head thinking about it, but you, you investors got to have this information and you go through the balance sheets and all everything that's going on, basically. Mm-hmm. The company has to be represented fairly. Now, in order to make sure that the company is represented fairly, the company also has to be audited by an accounting firm every year. So you have to have a separate company come in, go over all your books and verify that what you're doing is accurate and verify that what you're listing on your financial report is accurate. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of parties in play to make sure that Shannon don't happen right <laughs> when it comes to enron <laughs> all those parties just decided to not do their job for about 10 years wow enron's auditor was a company known as arthur anderson which you've probably not heard of but at the time it was one of the big five accounting firms in the united states and it was one of the oldest accounting firms in the entire country <laughs> arthur anderson no longer exists because they didn't do their job with enron nobody else wanted to work with them again because they weren't a credible accounting firm because of what they did with enron right and they completely collapsed all because of this case <laughs> so i'm gonna get into what what Enron was actually doing, but the Security and Exchange Commission was culpable in this too because they could have stopped a lot of this and just decided that, oh, we're the federal government. We're just not going to do our job. That's why you can't look at all these, I call them the alphabet societies, the FBI, the SEC, the CIA, the yeah. DEA. What's the health one? The, we got the NSA. You can, they can just do whatever the hell they, they want. The they, are they, not, they are not public servants. You gotta, they're, not, they're not held accountable. They're not held accountable. Nobody they're, is elected. They're not out there. <laughs> they're not always out there to do the public's the public's work. They're not public servants. Really, they're yeah, not but... public servants. <laughs> despite what the media is going to tell you. Right. Anyways, so when you get into what what Enron actually was, it's very complicated. Now they started off as a natural gas provider, so you they would like Columbia Gas or whatever. Yeah. You'd, you'd be oh, I got Enron Gas basically. Now that's a little bit oversimplifying things. But that's basically what was going on. But as the energy market kind of got deregulated, they decided to transition into becoming a natural gas commodity trader. Does that make any sense at all? So you're just trading energy stock. It's not stock. It's actual a commodity. If you're trading commodities, you're actually buying and selling stuff, oil, grain. Oh, so actual, the actual, yes, uh, the actual product. Yes. Okay. Commodities. Okay. Are actually, it's okay. supposed to be, sense. it's supposed to be an actual product. So you don't own a share in the company. You, you're, you're just selling the product. Basically. Okay. Now it's more complicated than that because there's futures, there's options. Most of commodity trading is done via options and futures and whatever. So now, basically who, who's dictating the prices at this point, whoever's involved in trading. Okay. Enron wanted to become the broker between people buying and selling natural gas. Now natural gas wasn't considered a commodity until it was deregulated. Before then there were certain companies that had the contract to handle all natural gas distribution. The idea was you're going to deregulate it because that's going to bring more competition in the marketplace. It should have in theory created better prices for the consumers. Yeah. Enron decided that they were going to jump in and try to basically make the market when it came to natural gas. They wanted to have natural gas transactions throwing th- flu- flowing through Enron between suppliers and consumers and vice versa and between other natural gas companies. They wanted to basically become a really big middleman. So that was that became their business. Hmm. More so than distributing energy or all the other shit that they had going on. They had so much shit going on, but it was the energy market making that was basically what their business was. Okay. So in like the 80s it was kind of working it was working all right for the most part. Uh, this Ken Lay guy was in charge, but what was happening was they 
had some traders that were kind of getting taking the whole thing and going a little bit too far with the legality of how they were making their trades. The company was making money off of this type of thing, but it wasn't it wasn't legal. Uh, one of their guys got arrested and thrown in jail for a while, and it became a kind of a big thing. It's like, hey, you guys, you got to follow rules if you're going to do this type of thing. Right. So Ken Lay was like, oh, well, we didn't know, even though he absolutely knew what was going on. <laughs> he needed to, he needed to pivot a little bit, so he brought in a guy by the name of Jeff Skilling, who is, in my opinion, the focal point of the entire thing. Skilling wanted to create this energy marketplace. He wanted to create what he called a gas bank, where basically Enron controlled the supply of gas as a bank would control the supply of money and facilitated transactions from consumers and other companies and suppliers and everything. They wanted to have everything kind of flowing through them, basically. Figuring so they're, they're they're pretty much setting the the bar for everything. Basically, they wanted to make the market, and they were making the market to an extent that's bad it's bad and it's not and we talked about <laughs> capitalism versus socialism yes this is capitalism but this isn't free market free market capitalism is great yes this of a capitalism is very problematic and there's not many people yes. out there normal people that are out there like harping for this type of capitalism right this is very problematic and there are rules that are supposed to be in place to prevent this type of thing from happening but as we're going to get into it just wasn't really enforced it was not so so this jeff skilling guy comes in and his whole thing was to create this this gas bank now it worked for the most part but it wasn't gen it would, you're not going to make that much money because there's how many transactions are going to be going on you know you get what i'm saying yeah because companies can still just sell directly to consumers if they have the infrastructure to do so enron mm-hmm. obviously was trying to buy up all the infrastructure so that you had to go through enron but it was replacing government regulation with enron regulation basically yeah, they were just becoming the government at that point. And this was pretty much localized to kind of the South Central United States for the most part. And then they mm-hmm. get into California later, which I'm going to get into. But it started to create a problem. And the other thing, too, is should natural gas be traded as a commodity? That's another problem, too. Because commodity trading does nothing for the economy. Right. All that it is is it's guessing future prices. That's all that commodity trading is. Mm-hmm. It's guessing demand and it's guessing future prices. So they're just creating a scenario where they were, they were going to make money by doing not a whole lot. Now, what Jeff Skilling did that, this is extremely problematic, and this was almost hilariously problematic is they started expanding the company into other ventures but they utilized a form of marketing or a form of accounting called mark to market accounting have you ever heard of that Mm -mm. basically what this is is say you and i were to create a business venture uh pat enterprises is talking to ben enterprises about whatever and we agree on a contract and i think that over 10 years or whatever our business dealing is going to create a million dollars worth of profit over 10 years Mm -hmm. what mark to market accounting lets you do is i can take that i've negotiated the seal we've signed the contract 10 years 100 million dollars is what we think it's going to happen i can put that million dollars immediately on my balance sheet this year ah. that is revenue that i've generated this year <laughs> think about that for a second the, yeah so we've got 10 years and we don't even know what's going to happen we've signed a 10-year contract right we don't know what's going to happen we think it's going to generate a million dollars worth of revenue for me we've got we don't have to justify that anyway we just think it's going to happen that goes on my balance sheet as revenue earned you never gave me any money i'm still listing a million dollars worth of revenue Right. Think about that for a second. See where I can see where that's going to cause a lot of problems. Now the SEC <laughs> at this point. This was a big thing because they were like, well, how can they really do this? The SEC came in, they talked with Jeff Skilling for a while, and they were like, well, <laughs> green light, you're good to go. Mark-to-market accounting. Investors didn't know about this. They had no idea what was going on. Right. They would see, Enron would make a deal with whoever. They see that revenue. They must be doing really well. That deal must right. be They're really not gonna great. Question. They're not going to question. The most notable one, think about this one for a second, was in 2000, they made a deal with Blockbuster Video for video on demand before the technology was there, mind you. They didn't have the technology to do this, but they created the deal anyway. 
way. And everybody's like, oh, this is a great deal. They're doing video on demand. Think about this. We're going to be streaming video across the internet via broadband. And Blockbuster Video is going to be partnering with Enron to make this happen. They were like, it's going to be a 20 year contract. It's going to be a hundred and it's going to generate $110 million for of revenue <laughs> for Enron. Put that right on the books for 2000. Mark to market accounting. <laughs> and nobody was challenging this. So they're just they're just marking on the books money that doesn't exist. Yes. And it's not going to exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to exist. And what's funny about that too is with the whole blockbuster video, they had they had no money because they weren't actually bringing in any money. Right. Now they had to cover money because they had all these things that they were trying to do that they couldn't pay for. They made a loan, a secret. They got a secret loan from the Canadian bank, and the deal was they were, the Canadian bank was going to give Enron X amount of dollars for like ten years worth of the actual profits that they were going to get from the blockbuster video. So all the net revenue, the net income or profit that they were going to earn from the blockbuster video deal was going straight to this Canadian bank in exchange for money up front. Now, obviously, this didn't show up on the balance sheet because they weren't putting anything on their balance sheet. Right. But it was literally, it was literally, think of a number, think of a number, think of a number. $150 million, boom, we made it. It's on our balance sheet. <laughs> so during this time, during the 90s, the stock price was going through the roof. It peaked at $90 a share in 2000. Damn. They had over $100 billion worth of revenue in 2000. You said $100 billion? $100 billion worth of revenue. This was, a, this was supposed to be a regional energy company as well most people understood it to be now they were doing their i'm about to look up enron real quick. they were doing this this trading thing this this commodity trading now listen to this one for a second so they were basically a commodity broker they were they were buying and they were facilitating the the purchase and sale of natural gas okay does that make sense yes when when you do something like this through a broker obviously there's a brokerage fee most companies that do this type of thing cite as their revenue the brokerage fee it's like if i'm gonna broker a deal between you and josh i'm gonna negotiate help you guys broker the deal basically you guys are going to each give me a dollar for the hundred dollar transaction or whatever right so that that dollar that i made is what i what i earned from the transaction what enron was doing was if it's a hundred dollar transaction they were listing the full hundred dollars as revenue that they earned (laughs) and on their website then they had a website called enron online or eol which was a huge website in the 1990s i think they launched it in 98 or 99 now real quick did they made it appear that the investor was investing their money into where they thought it was going when they when they not the investor but when when they were brokering the deal did it it looked said, like they were it looked like they were doing stuff yeah but the money was going to them it, but it did, did it look all normal to the de- to the people that were in gonna, the deal i'm gonna get into it okay but mostly yes you know, you know what i'm talking about yes mostly okay. yes it looked like because they were they were doing stuff they were building power plants they were buying stuff they were do, they were doing stuff it okay. just wasn't earning money. Yeah, I was trying to explain. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they were doing stuff, but with this Enron Online, they were they were brokering transactions. Again, they were just brokering transactions. They didn't actually own a lot of natural gas. They weren't buying and selling. They were facilitating trades, but they were listing everything as every transaction on that website listed Enron either as the buyer or the seller, <laughs> thus creating revenue that didn't exist. Right. They were citing that they earned $100 when all they really earned was the brokerage fee. Wow. So the revenues were absurd, and, and investors were just like, this is this is crazy, and the, the stock price just kept going up because what are you going to do with a company that looks really good? This Jeff Skilling guy was a mastermind of making everything sound great. So did any of the investors like make any money off any of this? Well, did, anyone, you, did anyone get lucky? Think about it. If you bought a stock for $20 and you sold it at $90 in 2000, yeah, you made money. Right. But a lot of people bought and hold, held. A lot of the employees put their 401ks into the stock thinking oh it was just going to keep going up. And that was the biggest part is people all these employees and there were thousands of employees at this company they're just putting their 401k in the Enron stock because unless you're at the tippy top you had no idea what the fuck was going on you thought you were working for a great company yeah <sighs> 
and then the stock That's tanks, terrible. and lots of people lost their retirement. Lots of people that were doing really well for themselves worked really hard and ended up having to work into their yeah. retirement years just to survive because everything they worked hard for got wiped away because of these guys. Man, there was no like class action trying to get some of that money back. I didn't get into that. This got I did I I got so much here and I didn't even get into that. <laughs> I got the wrap up, but so what was going on too is they they were investing in infrastructure. They had a power plant in India that they built a big big hole to do in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they thought there was going to be a huge money making scheme. Turned out that the power plant that they built, the power that they were supplying, they Indians couldn't afford it. People in India could not afford the power <laughs> that they were going to supply. <sighs> now, granted, they had a speculative price as to what they figured was going to be the revenue, so that just ended up on the balance sheet. So it looked like they made the money, even though <laughs> nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, the question started to arise, okay, well, we're spending money like crazy. We've got debt up the wazoo. What are we going to do about that? Because that's going to hurt the balance sheet, right? Nope. Wrong. Thanks to Andrew <laughs> Fastow, <laughs> who was with the company since 1990, and this dude, is a, he's a straight-up douche. Like, There's not a lot of redeemable qualities with this guy. But he became the CFO in 1998, and what he he started doing was hey you know we're gonna start running into a debt problem he created hundreds of shell companies that were that were called special purpose entities <laughs> hundreds of special purpose entities that only did business with enron and he pretty much just transferred all enron's debt to these companies wow now so these guys were sly you've got to be very creative with how you do the accounting and a big part so that's, of, that's basically money laundering right there a big part of their accounting scheme was create make the financials the financial statements look as complicated as possible so that fewer people are going to actually try to dive in right. and figure out what was going on because there's only so much you can really get away with with this type of thing but they were like well we're just gonna make it look as complicated as possible so that people aren't gonna challenge it and people were challenging it the entire time but nobody had the platform to challenge this big company like enron they were the seventh largest u.s corporation at one point that's insane based on basically nothing but nobody's nobody could challenge it because why the hell are you gonna challenge a company that's got all this money supposedly and jeff skilling was aggressive if you challenged them he would he would fight with you he would belittle you he'd be so mean if a reporter tried to say hey what's going on something doesn't sound right here but it wasn't until the dot-com bubble. When you remember when that burst? I don't know if you've, you've heard of that, the dot-com yeah. bubble burst. It wasn't until that where people started looking at these companies a little bit closer and we were like, hey, you know, and something's not right with Enron. Hmm. And then there was an interview that came out. It was uh, Bethany McLean, I think was her name, was a reporter who was talking to Jeff Skilling and was like, how exactly does Enron make their money? And his response was, you're going to have to ask uh, Andrew Fastow, the CFO. That's his department. <laughs> they couldn't even answer how they were making their money. Right. So it the whole situation is mind-boggling beyond the belief. But back in the 90s, the 90s was a different time because you had the Soviet Union collapsed. Yep. You had the rise. Retail was at its peak. Corporate America was dominating. They were, that, so this was corporate America's golden year, basically. Right. They couldn't, corporate America couldn't do anything wrong. Enron was at the top of that. People just wanted to make money. And they were like, these guys obviously know what they're doing. They're the smartest guys in the room, basically. How can you challenge that? Right. Now, the question is that I have is what were they actually trying to do? What were these guys actually trying to do? Yeah. Well, because they, they weren't really gaining anything. There's no substance to this business plan. There's there's eventually it's going to catch up to you. What I want to know is if they actually thought that somehow the company was going to survive, like somehow it was just all going to come together and they're going to start making actual money, <laughs> which it's tough to look at all this research that I did. And I, I just gloss over my own notes, which is a gloss over of what actually happened. But how the hell do they expect anything good to come of this? Well, mark to market accounting does nothing. All it does is show lots of money in the short term. It doesn't help you. That doesn't have any, there's no sustainability to that. 
Sounds like the Fed. Sounds like the federal government. Well, printing money that doesn't exist. Well, the Fed isn't <laughs> the Fed isn't the federal government. The Fed's a private, I, I, uh, the uh, Federal Reserve. The Fed is the Federal Reserve. The Fed is not the federal government. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, but it's it's the same. It's the same concept. You know what? You know what the, the hell concept. I meant. It's the same concept, <laughs> and that's why the Fed doesn't want to get audited, right? Because who knows what's going to happen? But so basically, eventually, in late two thousands, it all kind of caught up to them. A lot of questions started getting asked, and then uh, after nine eleven, Jeff Skilling sold off all like a whole bunch of his shares uh ken lay sold off a whole bunch of his shares then ken or then jeff skelding resigned from the company andrew fastall got fired because he was also embezzling on the side he had all his shell corporations and he was kind of pocketing actual actual money that they did have he was just kind of pocketing it for himself he ended up with 45 million dollars worth of theft wow. basically damn so jeff skilling resigned and he was like well when i left the company i thought it was in great financial situation it was in a great financial situation sure you did <laughs> i'm looking at their pictures right now and then ken lay he ended up dying in 2006 because he 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 was involved in all of it, but he pretty much let Andrew Fastow and Jeff Skilling go, kind of run wild with what they were doing. Right, he wasn't going to enforce anything. But it's just it's baffling that the whole thing was based on nothing. There's there's no substance in any of this. They were kind of on the cutting edge with the whole broadband internet thing. They were trying to do stuff with that, like that. They should have just stuck with that. That was the right place at the right time. But right, but that point, they, they the hole that they dug was so deep because they were digging this hole since the '90s. They you can't mark to market accounting doesn't work. <laughs> there's no scenario where that that's a good idea in my opinion since they're creating nothing out of nothing i don't see how you can i don't see where you can come up anything to be gained from that well like, how mean, are you making money how are you going to make money personally if if they were a real company it would be their only legitimate source would be brokerages which i guess you could kind of sort of say yeah but you're not making you're not on a hundred dollar transaction you're going to make a dollar right exactly then they shouldn't have been citing i don't know how the hell anybody thought it was a good idea to start citing the full transaction as revenue because that's not revenue that's not money that's coming into your company Right. That's money going through your company. So That's obviously crazy. it's a crazy. failure of the SEC. It's a huge failure of Arthur Anderson and they don't exist anymore because when the whole thing started to fall apart, they just started shredding all the files. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so did, did they know about it and just turn a blind eye or, it, yeah, or, they, or probably, they just didn't do the work? Probably a little bit of both. But the thing with a company with this whole thing is that Enron was paying Arthur Anderson to audit. That's the one problem with the system is you pay your auditor. You have to have an auditor, mm -hmm. but you're paying them. How much were they paying them? Uh, they said that at one point, the, the Arthur Anderson's Dallas firm was handling it, and they were paid between twenty-five and twenty-seven million dollars one year. Wow! And that would have been over, like right around a quarter of that firm's entire annual revenue was just Enron. Wow! So significant, <laughs> significant, significant yeah. amounts of money. Yeah. But like again, and I just kind of glossed through. Right. It's mind-boggling how this was allowed to happen. But then again, too, and they got over a hundred billion dollars. They cited a hundred billion dollars. They had nowhere near that. How did? How, how did? And, no one check into this shit because it all looked good and nobody oh my god there was there was no the stock kept on going up Inve investment advisors were like hey and it was the wall street darling you think you think any of that shit's happening right now something like shit similar well these days so you got to be very wary of a company that doesn't have a tangible product because the product is what makes a business you know right so yeah it could definitely still be happening now there's a lot of things that happened since enron to kind of make sure that this type of thing didn't happen yeah but one thing too is you know fortune magazine had enron as their most innovative company six years in a row from 1995 to 2001 it was enron most innovative Damn. country <laughs> the most innovative company. <laughs> 
That's insane. How that was allowed to happen. Only God knows. Again, I've said it a hundred times in this recording. It was all based on nothing. (laughs) Trading natural gases and just making up numbers. And they were just making up. It was imaginary accounting, basically. How long did they get away with it? Like, how long long were they in business? The company was from 1985, and then it went bankrupt in 2001 at the end. December of 2001. Wow, they lasted quite a bit of time. And they lasted a year because scrutiny started coming out in 2000 about them. People were like, wow, something's not exactly right. In September of 2000. Or of, of 2000 then reports started coming out but the stock kept they kept staying high like it would dip a little bit and then it would go back up <laughs> and what's what I think happened was I think that the executives it was all just about stock prices because they all had millions of shares worth of stock Ken Way and Jeff Skilling Jeff Skilling sold off over 100 million dollars worth of stock prior to the collapse <laughs> now Ken, uh, Jeff Skilling got tried for insider trading he got away with it because they bought his claim that he sold off because of 9-11 but Damn. 9-11 happened in the September, the problems at Enron got big in October. So yeah, I don't know about that. Yep, that's that's not it's not that good of an excuse. And again, I didn't I didn't get into all that. Jeff Skilling got 24 years in prison, but he only served 13 of those because he got sentenced in 2006. Only served like 13, and he's out now. Fastow ended up now. Fastow was he kept the whole thing going because with his shell corporation scheme to hide the debt, he decided to work with investigators. He only got six years. He had to pay back most of the money that he earned, but he only got six years, so he's out now. Kenway's dead. He died of a heart attack prior to sentencing. Who knows what he would have got. But as the, as the head honcho of the whole thing, it wasn't going to be good. And then a couple other guys, like some of them got out of there, like scot-free. Like there were a few other executives in the mix. The documentary gets into a few more people that I'm not going to get into, but... Man, they, 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 they made out all right, I guess, besides the dude that died. <laughs> well, they had to pay back everything. Yeah. And obviously, if, if this type of thing happens, you can't, you're never going to work again. Nope, you're done. Not in publicly traded companies. Arthur Anderson collapsed, which <laughs> it's just <laughs> 90 years strong, and poof, they're out of there. <laughs> they're out of the game. Jesus. You screw up that one time. Yeah. You're done. And that's the over, that, it's, that's a, that's a big story. We gotta, a, we gotta, we gotta do this topic again, no doubt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe for our Patreon page, I'm gonna. I thought about doing. Uh, the Falcon Shield or the Boner King. You ever heard of that guy? Remember uh, Smiling Bob? You remember those commercials? The Oh, Ron the, Jeremy? The male enhancement drug. Oh, no. Uh, no, his name. I forget his name. But he he created that herb-like pill. Uh, I think it's called like Enzite or something like that, like a male enhancement. And it's supposed to do all this shit, but for the majority of people, it didn't do anything for anybody. And yeah, he got in big trouble. Like, he... <laughs> <laughs> He had these. He had these really dumb, these really funny commercials. Like that's an interesting one. You'll have to check that one out. Yeah, but anyways, to wrap up Enron real quick. So I went through all the all the sentencing. Four thousand people lost their jobs when Enron went bankrupt in December two thousand one. They estimate a total of twenty eight thousand five hundred jobs were lost. Um, one thing that they were doing real quick is they decided to move into California because there was an energy crisis in the late nineties and early two thousands in California. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was because Enron was buying up power plants and shutting them down to artificially cut the supply so they can move in <laughs> and the situation that situation got out of control pretty quickly too jesus uh the california blamed their governor who was a guy by the name of gray davis i don't know if you've heard of him yeah heard of gray davis he sounds, sounds very familiar yeah but he got kind of he took shit for the whole thing because he didn't really handle the whole thing well either but it paved the way for arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> to become governor of california wow and the other thing too is a lot of people were calling on the federal government to do something about enron because there were the problems were there like obviously investors weren't seeing it but people were seeing problems but president george w bush friends with ken lay was just kind of like yeah 
Uh, uh. Now Bush is also CFR. So is Bush Senior. Bush Senior is not good. No, he's not. He was very globalistic. Very yeah. yeah. Uh, not good. And I don't know about Bush. Uh, Bush Junior either. W. I think W was a little better. A little bit better, but they're still CFR. They're both skull and bones. Yep, skull and bones. All that. There's not. There's nothing good that comes what, out of those what, groups. What, what do you think they did in the skull and bones? What What are they? What What are like, they? What type of rituals and shit they did? I don't want to get into their rituals, but. If you look at their at their membership roles, they have so much control over financial sectors. It's insane. Oh yeah, like all the J.P. Morgan employees. A lot of them were Skull and Bones members. A lot of presidents. A lot of politicians. John Kerry and George W. Bush were both yep. Skull and Bones members. Crazy. When you when you trace what's really going on, now everybody's gonna be like, oh well, that's just they're just, just a fraternity. No, no, there's a lot more going on. Yep, there's a lot of financial control of that group facilitates down the road. Yep, they're all at Bohemian Grove too. That's another thing that <laughs> is ridiculous, but. Anyways, that's pretty much all I got on Enron. That's a good one, man. It's yeah. I, I gotta. I'm gonna look more into that. I'm gonna try and there are a couple look, look for some stuff to watch on that. There are a couple of YouTube videos. You know, Company Man. You ever watch Company Man on YouTube? Mm-mm. He's got like a 10 minute video. You could watch. It's pretty good. There's a couple other ones that are pretty solid. So I'll check that out. Anyways, that's all I got for Enron. Got more uh, comments or questions or concerns today? Yeah, man. There's so many. There's so many white collar crime stories out there, man. I think for our Patreon, what I want to do is I'm just gonna read my essay as it is. <laughs> I feel like it's I feel like it's very it's very well written. Well, I'm sure it is. I might do a recording where I just read that off and then publish it. You should. I don't know if people will subscribe to our Patreon that doesn't exist yet for <laughs> that, but you know, tweet us at thirty in the if you guys have ever been involved in a white collar crime. Yes, please tweet us. Please give us the details. If you guys have got any any facts that we messed up, please tweet us. Shout out to uh, my old coworker Galvin. He he uh, sent us a tweet this week. Also, my mother sends us tweets. Thank you, mother, for tweeting at us. Awesome. Thank you guys for doing that. That's great. Uh, we're up. We're like at nine hundred. 140 listen somewhere around there no shit so we're getting up there we're doing good man anyways and you got anything else tonight yeah i don't think so i don't think so y'all set yeah all right we should probably call it quits for the night huh i'd say so i got a busy day tomorrow so well everybody thank you for tuning in to 4 30 in the morning yes please tweet us at 30 in the tweet us at 30 in the we're gonna get social media up eventually yeah, we will. Maybe this week. Paige might be our market marketing manager. Really? Yeah. Is she good at that kind of stuff? I don't know. No. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Kind of she is. We'll, yeah. have to, we'll have to have a sit down. Yeah, we will. We'll talk numbers. Yeah. Paige can be our marketing manager. I like it. Yeah, sounds right. good. Well, <laughs> does she even listen to the show? Yeah, she does. Does she really? Yeah, she does. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that I'm so loud in your house, honestly. <laughs> I can just imagine her being like, Pat is coming over again. <laughs> no. She's asleep when you come over. Okay. She, she don't know nothing. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, that's about cut this episode. So, peace. Come on, everybody, get down tonight. Come on, everybody, get down tonight. Come on, everybody, get down tonight. All right. Don't don't do that. You know that song? No. It's uh, that song is called "Come On, Everybody." By Eminem from the Slim Shady LP. Oh, God. 1999. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's opening night. You'll have access to the game. Uh, There's going to be a buffet. Do I get to meet the players? No. Do I get to throw out the first pitch? (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe maybe we can arrange that. Do I get to coach first base for anything? (laughs) Yeah, but uh, buffet, and uh, I think there, I, I think there's gonna be a cash bar. Okay. So. 
who the hell would buy a Chevy Avalanche? Like, what the hell? What, really? What is that? Chevy Avalanches are nice. No, they're not. Yes. My uncle my uncle had a Chevy Avalanche the very last year that they made them. And that thing was nice, man. It was he had it was blacked out. But the what, interior was really nice. But what is it? It's just it's just uh it's it's a truck. It's not really it's, a it's truck. It's got a though. short bag, but it's not really a truck. It, it is a truck. It's got a it's got a, uh, it's a like, four or a six foot bed. It's like a nerf ball truck. Oh my god. Avalanches are pretty nice. I would not. Uh, the guy and, that drives an avalanche wears his baseball hat backwards and drinks lots of Bud Light. 